Oh, wow. Well, last week was certainly an epic moment. Um, I think we had a 100% response to the Word and, and um, what we've been talking about. I typically don't always do a lot of review. If you want to review or hear what's going on or has been going on, we're in part three of a series called Return to the Word. And I encourage you to go to, uh, uh, what is it, gpsvineyard.com and uh, go there and you can go down the links and check into the sermons and you can find last week's message. But we have been talking about, we're in this moment where I believe it's a very prophetic moment where God has been, uh, has released this moment of grace we got that from Ezra chapter 9, verse 8, where it says, We have now been given a brief moment of grace, for the Lord our God has allowed for a few to survive as a remnant. And we went, went down this road to where you and I have been set aside for such a time as this. The reason you're here isn't just happenstance. It's not just by DNA or a lotto. That, no, no. It's a purpose that was designed by God because God has placed in us a seed that can make and restore so much to the world if we'll only take our place. We talked about Gideon, where Gideon, the Lord came to Gideon and said, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, you're not talking to me. You're, you're oh, I, I don't know who you're talking to. But the Lord went on and had this dialogue with Gideon, the angel of the Lord, and, and here we have Gideon finally comes to this place where he realizes that he is the answer. And we talked about that, that you are the answer. You are the antidote to all of the wonkiness that we're seeing going on in the world. How all tr this truth is being censored, redefined, and repackaged, God wants us to go back to his word to absolute truth and rediscover who and whose we are. But how do we navigate these waters? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning because there's some stuff coming at us that I think we need to know where we stand. Mario Murillo said this um, out of the LA uh, revival that they're having down there. It's amazing. I don't know if you've been tracking or following any of that. Living Proof Ministries, Mario Murillo in LA. And he said this, how do you know when a conspiracy theory is not a conspiracy theory? It's when they censor it. That is so true. And he, said, he went on to say this. For example, if I were, was to declare that unicorns were real, it would not be censored because it's not true. So right now, the threat to what's going on in the world is truth. And the only truth that we can stand on that's going to make a difference is absolute truth. But we have to go back to the Word of God. We've been so inundated with all these other thoughts and ideas. We've got to shove those aside and go back and say, what is the real truth? What is the absolute truth? What is God saying in this moment and this season? What is he saying to us? What is he saying to me individually? We're going to find that as we return to the word. Garris Elkins wrote this. Garris Elkins from Prophetic Horizons. I love his writings. But he said this, when an individual... Or a group of people have been groomed to think in a certain way without a deeper inquiry into what is true, their minds become almost impenetrable by any new and conflicting information. We're running into, that world, in, into the world today. There is no conversation. When you meet with someone who's opposed to the truth that you walk in, there really doesn't seem to be much of a conversation. It's kind of like they put their fingers in their ear and they're going, la, 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 la. They don't want to have the conversation or it almost gets hostile. How many know that one? Yeah, we're experiencing that today. And what's happened is their minds have become trapped and there's like these walls built around it that are impenetrable to any new and conflicting information that comes their way. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. We run into that a lot and we're going to run into that more. But we need to learn how to navigate these waters because I believe that this is one of our greatest moments if we'll listen to what God is speaking to us. Jesus always challenged the group think. Didn't he? 
He would go into a city or th- and, and whatever, and there'd be hundreds, if not thousands of people standing. He always would challenge the group think. And that's what we should be doing, challenging the group think. Now think about this for a moment. There are many kinds of prisons. As a young boy, I had the opportunity to go to Yuma Territory Prison, not as an inmate, just making sure you understand that. My father took me there because he had grown up pretty close to there and he wanted to show me. What a terrorizing place. They had these pits that had these ladders that you could go down inside and this is solitary confinement where they put the worst of the worst. And in there you could see where solid rock where people had been in there so long and tried to claw their way through the rock. Marks and writings in the rock. What a terrifying place. What I, we went to Alcatraz one time with some relatives. You're walking through that place. It is massive. And then they take you down and they take you in one of these places where solitary confinement, where they shut the doors and they have you think about how long you think you've been in there. And you've been on a, there maybe a minute, felt like you were in there for eternity with absolutely no light. How terrorizing, how tormenting that can be. But listen, I wrote here, but none of this can be more tormenting than the mental prisons that we put ourselves in because of the way we've been groomed to think. And that's what we have in front of us is a lot of people have been groomed to think a certain way. They have bought the lie. They have bought into the deception. And I'm telling you what, because they've been groomed to think a certain way, they are terrorized. Our job is to set those captives free. And I'm going to tell you, these mental prisons that, that we put ourselves in feel as, as real as those made out of bricks and, and bars and stones, and they can be equally difficult to break out of. A mental hold, oh my goodness, on your mind by the enemy is one of the hardest things to break free of. In fact, we truly can become a prisoner in our own mind. How many have dealt with someone like that? They are truly, yes, they are truly a prisoner in their own mind, held captives by their thoughts. And I'm going to tell you, the deception and the lies, the more you believe, the more you're told, the more you suck in without doing any kind of homework, all of a sudden you find yourself with a wall so high and so thick, you can't break out. But there's one person who can break you out. There's one way we can get out. And I'm going to tell you, scripture, scripture is designed to bring revelation. Scripture wasn't designed to bring just information. Scripture was designed, again, to bring revelation. And revelation is the only thing that has the potential to break into the prison of a mind of someone who's held captive by lies and deception. Revelation. So when we go back to God's word and we begin to read his word, it's alive, it's active. And if you see it as that, if you value it as that, then all of a sudden revelation begins to come to you of how to navigate the waters that you're walking into. It just comes. It's amazing how God's word can do that. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 21. There is a key. There is an antidote, there is an answer for breaking free from the lies and the deceptions. And that is in the knowing of the truth. Truth alone just sits there on the shelf, but if you know the truth and you know how to apply the truth, it truly will set you free. So John, chapter eight. There's this dispute over who Jesus is. Again, Jesus is challenging their groupthink. And starting in verse 21, once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, huh, will he kill himself? Is is this why he says where I go, you cannot come? I mean, they're, they're pondering this. They're kind of digging through this. But he continued, you are from below and I am from above. And you, excuse me, you are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. So if you don't believe who I am, you're going to die in your sins. That truth alone sets people on their ears. That truth alone, the enemy wants to push back so hard on. Who are you, they ask. Just as I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied, 
I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I will tell the world. Verse 27, but they did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. Jesus is speaking truth right to their face. And they're trying to figure this out because their minds have been just captured by all of the deception of the enemy. They can't see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords standing right in front of them. He goes on in 29, the one who sent me is with me and he's not left me alone for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many people believed in him. So as he's speaking truth, as he's speaking to the crowd, there had to have been little lights going on. Revelation. Jesus is speaking truth. Revelation. This guy, something in my heart is telling me, this guy is the real deal. This guy must truly be the Messiah. He must truly be the sent one. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, this is so important, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teaching, that word hold in the Greek is, means to have, it means literally to hold on to, it means to possess, it means to adhere to, it means to cling to, it's like holding a ship on course and keeping its heading. Are you doing that? Or do you get squirrel, squirrel, squirrel? How many know the squirrel? <laughs> Let's switch gears for a second. Last week was 9-11. It was my wife and I's anniversary. It was also my father's birthday. It was always a great day until 9-11-2001. And that's when I remember meeting with a bunch of youth guys down at a coffee place in town. And Hazel, we walked in, the, the barista, she's going, you guys gotta see this. She interrupted our meeting, said, you need to come see this. And we saw right there on national television, right before our eyes, plane number one crash into the World Trade Center. It had cr just crashed. And as we're watching it going, oh wow, a plane accident, all of a sudden, the next plane, comes in. Unbelievable. And within a matter of moments and time, all of a sudden, we had a plane hit, planes hit the World Trade Center. We had planes crash into the Pentagon. We had a plane just, they were trying to fight with the guys trying to take over the plane. It ended up crashing in some field in Pennsylvania. 9-11 changed the course of our history. It changed the trajectory of this country. But what's really interesting was in that moment, it's as if 9-11 helped fuel a nascent kind of sense of nationalism, which seemed to take patriotism at that moment to a whole nother level. I, how many remember that moment? Yeah, yeah, it was an unbelievable moment. It was one of those moments everyone just stopped. Max and I were talking about this, and you could not find an American flag on a shelf anywhere. All of a sudden, people became more aware of being an American than being a citizen of their own state. Really, people who called themselves Oregonians or Californians or Washingtonians or whatever, all of a sudden they, 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 they saw themselves first, I'm an American. And there was this unity and they united around, we need to stand tall in this moment. Nationalism, patriotism, whole nother level. But it didn't take very long. Churches were packed. I remember that. Churches were packed. Looking for answers. Looking for someone to rise up. Looking for, oh, we're going to just go. Ah. And it wasn't too long after that. Everyone began to wane away. And go back to their old ways. Their old patterns. And it seems as if they forgot their need for God. We're in this moment once again. It has come back around, I believe, where we're looking at a new rise of nationalism, a new rise of patriotism. But what is the truth? Are, are, we, are we supposed to be part of all of this? 
Are we supposed to buy into all of this? Are we, how do we navigate these waters? Because really, if you have been born again, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. You are a citizen of heaven. So it's almost like there's another people group, us, sojourners traveling through this world. How do we navigate the waters? Because I'm telling you, we're coming up for a doozy. This next election cycle is going to be a whammy. I'm telling you, buckle up. But where do we fit in all of this? And I've asked Max to share his heart on, on nationalism, on patriotism. I, Max has an incredible perspective, I believe, that is so important and so critical for us to hear in this moment. He's a phenomenal teacher. And I love this guy. So Max, come on up, brother. With an introduction like that, it better be good, huh? <laughs> yeah, what a tough topic to address. <clears throat> I know uh, <clears throat> I'm one of these critical thinkers and deep thinkers, and I process things deeply, sometimes too deeply, and it uh, sometimes will get me in trouble because it spins my head out, and I go, oh, what do I do with this? And uh, on this topic, I feel like I could write a book or at least a couple of chapters because I've just... I think about this stuff all the time. Like I said, when I preached a few weeks back, I said I should have been an anthropologist. I'm always studying human nature. Why do humans do what they do? How did we get here? How do we change it? It's just my natural processing of thinking. So it isn't like I just sit down and think, well, I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna think about this right now. It's just my natural pattern. I'm always thinking about this. And I wish I could come up with some really good answers. <laughs> uh, but maybe I can lean us towards some answers, at least. Um, difficult times we live in, crazy times we live in. Number one, I want you to remind everybody, we are in a spiritual conflict. Heaven and hell are clashing, seriously. And uh, again, we do not wage wars the world wages. We do not fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and powers, spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realm. So let's always remember who the true enemy is. Even when that person is standing in front of you unleashing this ungodly language at you, they're still not the enemy. Although you want to punch them right in the face. They're demonically driven. And we have things happening in our culture right now that are heavily demonically driven. There's narratives that are coming down through uh, the political process and the cultural process, social uh, media events that are so heavily demonically driven. And if you're not seeing that, you're just kind of, you're going to get spun out. You got to understand it's a conflict, it's a war. And as kingdom people, we need to find our place. We need to find our proper perspective. How do I stand in this? How do I speak to this? How do I engage in this? How do I speak the truth in love without alienating this person in front of me that's all caught up into it? A difficult challenge. And I think it's really good that we set our heart to learning how to address this. Set our heart to learning how to speak to the person in front of us that uh, is all spun out, but yet we know that it's a demonic lie that they bought into and somehow bring the truth that maybe not at that moment in time they get set free, but maybe in time they'll think about it and something else will add to it. And they go, huh, that makes sense now. And they can begin the process of walking out of that. Isn't that what we want? See people walk out of bondage, walk out of darkness, yeah, absolutely. But getting, positioning ourselves right now, uh, as I look at American history, I love history, uh, as I look at American history, I see that the church always has been and always should be the conscience of the nation. Because sometimes the nation itself sears its own conscience and gets astray. And we're in one of them moments where the nation itself has 
begin believing some narratives and some lies, and it's becoming to create a new morality and a new truth. But it isn't truth at all. It's a perversion. It's a deception. And it's going to cause deeper and darker bondage. So the church becomes that conscience reminding the nation of what is true, reminding the nation what is right. Big responsibility. But it's always been that way. If you look back at history, you can even see uh, uh, what came to mind recently as I was thinking through this whole thing is I remembered Paul when he was arrested. Paul the Apostle, when he was arrested and he was going to go to Rome and testify and all that stuff, uh, he had he had a meeting to meet with Festus and King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. So Paul is there, Festus and King Agrippa come in, and uh, I don't remember if it's Agrippa or Festus, but they give, they give Paul the mic, in other words, and say, Paul, okay, tell us your story. So Paul goes through this long dialogue talking about what has happened with Jesus coming. So he presents the gospel. He talks about repentance. And he talks about focusing on those things that are truly godly. And he's laying this out to King Agrippa and Festus. And at one point, Festus, he's like, this is getting a little crazy. So he stands up and he shouts at Paul. And he says, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you insane. It's right there in Acts 26. Read it. But Paul stands up and he says, uh, Festus, I'm not out of my mind. And I think King, King Agrippa is well aware of the things that are happening right now in our world. He knows what I'm saying is true. And he just continues to speak the truth. And I think that's a great model for us. He didn't condemn. He didn't criticize. He just spoke the truth in love and declared it. And he said, and King Agrippa says, uh, do you think that you're going to convince me to be a Christian so quickly? And Paul says, short or long, I pray that everybody who hears my voice right now is, becomes like I am except for these chains. So Paul was on a mission, and he knew his message. So I didn't really mend it. That was, wasn't even in my notes. But. <laughs> so the conscience of a nation... We become the conscience of a nation. Why? Because the country has lost its moral compass. You know, when you have a compass, it points the directions. You can figure out north, and then you can figure if you're going to go east. Okay, so i got to go that way. But if you don't have a compass, if you don't have a way to measure what is moral north, true north, you walk around in circles. You're lost. And I see that happening in our country right now. We get that... Uh, oh, uh, truth is just relative. Morality is just relative. Whatever you believe is good uh, and right, whatever I believe is good and right. So, you know, hey, don't bother me. We're all good and we'll come out in the end. Well, here's a glass, great example. Anybody know what Measure 110 in Oregon was all about? Death and destruction has come from Measure 110. We can easily see the statistics of what that measure has created in the state of Oregon. Homelessness, drug addiction, wasteland of people living on the streets, reckless behaviors, no disciplines, because we legalize drugs. I don't know about you, but I read that ballot measure. I went, that is going to destroy the state. It was written in such a way that it would deceive and it would help these classes of people. Well, show me some statistics where it's done that. I can show you plenty of statistics that it's destroyed a lot of other people. So there's a practical application. Measure 110 was a failure. It was a demonic lie. It said that it would bring health and prosperity to our state. It didn't. It brought death and destruction. And it's still doing that. And I hear there's actually rumblings now looking at the possibility of working to repeal it, which would be wonderful. I didn't, I wasn't in my notes either. <laughs> so, you know, here we are as the conscience, conscience, uh, conscience of the nation. 
We get to speak the truth. We get to declare what is true, what is right, what is perfect, what is pure, what is honorable, what has dignity, and, and kind of say, hey, wait, wait, wait a minute, that's destructive, that's, that's demoralizing, that's demented, that's perverted, you know, and say, hey, you know, let's, let's go over here where it's good, where it's clean, it's pure. Let's stay over in this camp. This is a good camp. That's not. That's being the conscience of a nation. And we can do that as a church. Well, now you're getting political, Max. I don't think we should be political. Let me ask you this. Is the devil involved in politics? Is the devil involved in social arenas? So are we just going to give him that and let him run with it? No. We should be involved in those things. Absolutely. So convinced of that, I'm trying to find avenues and ways myself personally how I can engage in that. And I want to challenge all of you to find ways that you can engage in that. Find practical ways in your sphere of influence and whatever you're able to do. A lot of things I can't do. I'd like to go to the county commissioner's meetings that meet, but they're during the week when you work. I can't go to those. Some of you retirees probably could. Maybe you should. So we get to display the culture of the kingdom. Every kingdom has a culture. Every king, Jesus, he has a culture. We see it all through the Gospels, how he lived, how he presented himself, how he loved, how he challenged, even how he rebuked that Doug just read. That was a bold-faced rebuke to the Jewish leaders, religious community. Part of the kingdom of heaven. It's part of the culture of the kingdom displaying what God wants to do in a moment in time. We all know Abraham Lincoln, right? Did you know that he was never a member of a church? He was a deeply uh, convicted man that he knew that he had a calling from God. And he knew he had a purpose, and he knew that he had a responsibility in his time to change the world for the better based on his belief in God, and he was an avid reader of the Bible. But he wasn't a card-carrying member of a church. He went, in, went to churches. Sure, he was involved in churches, but he was not necessarily a, a member of Vineyard Christian Fellowship, Grants Pass. Yet he had this deep, deep conviction. He knew that he had a responsibility before God to change the culture that he lived in. And he did it throughout his time as a, as a I forget if he was in senator or congressman, I don't remember. Uh, the whole time he was always working for the moral values. He was always bringing uh, biblical standards into those and even into his presidency, you see him doing that. You see his quotes, if you read his quotes, he's a very spiritual man, very enwrapped up in doing right before God. And, of course, Emancipation, Emancipation Proclamation and the uh, abolitionist movement, he was all behind that. He wanted to see slavery done with. He knew as a child it was wrong. Even from a child, a young child, he knew slavery was wrong. And he fought and spoke all his life to see it done away with because he believed it was right in God's eyes. He believed that was not something that God would have us be doing. That was in my notes. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I'm going longer than I expected already. I'm sorry. But I want to I just clarify something. Um, w how many have heard of the separation of church and state? Where did we get that? Anybody know? It's not even really written in our Constitution or the amendments. It's more, uh, Benjamin Franklin kind of made it, made it popular. But uh, separation of church and state was kind of a statement that summarized what happened in the First Amendment of the Constitution. First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of the press. And during in that First Amendment, there was a couple of clauses added for the religious community. 
And I want to read those because these are good for us to know as Americans. There was two provisions in the First Amendment, the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause. The Establishment, the establishment Clause said, the state or the government shall not establish a state religion, such as when the pilgrims left England, there was a state religion. The state and the church were one and the same, basically, and they were overlording on the people, controlling the people, manipulating the people. And the pilgrims wanted out of that, so they came to the free world and set up something new. Or, for example, like in uh, Iraq or Iran, uh, the state government is Islam. So the state and the church are one and the same. It's very powerful, very dominating, indoctrinating thinking. So provision one of the First Amendment uh, establishment clause was that we would not do that in America. We would not establish a church that was linked to the government. So it can't be powerful. It can't be overbearing. And the, church, and the government would not uh, promote that religion. Okay? So that's provision one. Provision two was the uh, free exercise clause. And it said the state shall have no authority over the citizens' rights to practice the religion. So both, the, both of these were uh, designed to help the people and protect the people. One, from government controlling a, a religious structure over them, and two, for, to keep government out of our religious practices. So we have that freedom. Now, a lot of people have been trying to rewrite that whole thing and say that uh, religious expression does not belong in certain spheres of influence. But that's not what, for, that's not what these provisions are doing. The First Amendment and these provisions do not silence the church. And that came to my mind. We had written letters to uh, Mayor Bristol a while back during Pride Month in June and how we disagreed with her desire to uh, celebrate Pride Month in Grants Pass. And we got a uh, response back from one of her aides, and they pulled this card on us, separation of church and state. Like somehow because we believe in God, we didn't have a say. That's a misinterpretation of these provisions. Just because I'm a part of a faith, I still have a voice. I'm not silenced. And I have the ability to speak into any, anything. We have the freedom in the First Amendment to speak to our government officials, especially in America, because we're supposed to a government of the people, by the people, for the people. So I know I'm going way too long, and I'm, I, I, this thing, whole thing is spinning in my head so fast I don't even know where I'm going with it. Uh, maybe I need to write a book or preach another couple sermons on it or something. But uh, I just want to release you to not think that your voice doesn't matter. Because you're a Christian and you're religious or have a, a religious structure, that somehow you're disqualified. That's BS. I'm sorry I use that term, but that's baloney. And if somebody tells you that, they're out of line. Especially in God's kingdom, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. And if we're not light, the world is going to get darker. So we should be light. So anyway, I hope that didn't throw Doug on his ear, but there you go. Oh my, not at all. That was so good. So good. So where do we get this thought in the scriptures that we have been called by God to be the moral compass for this nation and the world? Where do we get that from? Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 12. That was so good, Max. 
you know, we could get into how ancient Israel was a, 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 a nationalistic culture, and that's what God intended. But at the end of the day, it was for a bigger purpose and a bigger reason. But, but here's my point. When God called Abraham to travel to a land that God would show him, God was laying the foundation for something even bigger. Much, much bigger than we can even comprehend. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4, it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your native country, your relatives, your father, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. <clears throat> God had a plan for Abram, who later became Abraham, the father of many nations. We are descendants of Abraham, correct? Okay. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. You and I have been called to be a blessing, not a curse, but a blessing to others. We have been called to be the moral compass for this nation. We have been called to be the moral compass for such a time as this. Every one of you. Again, we are the antidote. It's you. Now, this is where it gets cool. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. God's going to deal with those that are treating us with contempt as long as we keep pushing into and pressing forth and speaking the truth of God's word. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. You and you and you and you and all of us, we carry the seeds of blessing. We do. So in this moment, do we pull back or do we step into the fray? Yeah. Remember, the greatest weapon we have in this moment is our voice. And you carry the seeds of blessing in your voice. I'm going to skip some of this here, but the, the problem with nationalism, I think, is it becomes a religion. It becomes a religion, and we live our lives by it and, and blindly follow it without questioning, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute, stop the bus. Like a lot of these measures and things that get passed, do you really do your due diligence and read the synopsis, and then read around it and find out what's really going on. Some of you are so good at that. Some of you and others, we just kind of go, uh, check. Oh, what did you vote on that? Oh, check. What did you vote on that? Check. Instead of doing your due diligence. Remember, God has placed in you the seed to bless others. And I think this is what we need to understand. I think God's word teaches us that nationalism in the sense that believers in Christ is this. Nationalism is, is really that we need to, as believers, as citizens of another kingdom, we need to obey the laws of the land regardless of the nation that we live in, okay? Now, people go, whoa, wait a minute. I'm an American. I have my rights. But let's go on. Let's understand who we are as citizens of another kingdom. Romans 13, we reach this one. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which has been established by God. The authorities that exist have been established by God, it repeats. Okay, all right. These words were penned by the Apostle Paul, who was <clears throat> in prison. He was suffered, he was beaten, he was tortured for his faith. And in the end, he was martyred by a wicked, a wicked, wicked emperor named Nero. But Paul wrote those words. But listen, <clears throat> we are sojourners. We are passing through. We are pilgrims from another tribe and another nation if we're born again. We are citizens from another kingdom. While sojourners here on the earth, I wrote, we should support our governments. We should support our communities as much as possible without violating God's commands. And this is the moment that we're in. We're being pressed against the wall saying some people are violating God's commands. They're compromising. They're giving in. If there was ever a time to not do that, it's now. It's the time to stand in the winds of adversity and say, it's not going to happen on my watch. And some of you are pressing into these groups. You're pressing into the, these arenas, and you're bringing truth. 
You're bringing that seed that if they listen and you keep pushing, if they'll listen, it will bring blessing to our country. Peter, in Acts 5.29, I love this, but Peter and the apostles replied, these guys have been beat on all night and they were tortured. Don't preach anymore. Don't do that. Don't talk about God. Don't talk talk about truth. But they still were going to do it. That's what they were called to do. And Peter makes this statement. He says, we must obey God rather than any human authority. But think about this for a moment. When, when Israel was ex- exiled to Babylon, Bab- Babylon uh, because of their disobedience, that's why they got exiled. They weren't listening to God. They had walked away from the truth. When they got exiled, the Lord told them in Jeremiah 29, here's what he said. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. What? Yeah, don't sit there and whine, scream, and complain and just yell from a a distance. Get involved. And he says, again, I'm going to read it. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have sent you or carried you into exile. And he said, pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you will prosper. So as we press into what's going on around us with the heart to bring a moral compass to what's going on, we will prosper too. So will the city and the nation around us. That's what I so love about some of you that are getting involved in the community. You're getting involved in things that are going on. Knowing that you are a citizen of another kingdom. Knowing that you carry something in you that can bring life and healing to the situations around us. Amen? Now, hear me. I am an American. I'm very patriotic. And I believe that we should defend our freedom. I believe that we should stand in the gap for the innocent. I believe that we should, we should protect and defend our homes from foreign threats. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that this country we live in, in my opinion, is the greatest nation on the face of the earth. I believe that. Do we have problems? You bet. But again, we are the answer. We have the antidote. We have the solution for what we're seeing in front of us. You can't just sit in the pew anymore, guys. You gotta get up and engage into what's going on around us because you have been called. Clear back to Abraham. You have been given the seed to bring prosperity to our community. Every one of you. Philippians 3.29 tells us, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we eagerly are waiting for him to return as our savior. Where we err in all that's going on right now, especially nationalism where we buy into this lie that we all think and walk and act in this one way, is that, is that when we allow it to, this type of nationalism, to displace our first loyalties to Christ and his kingdom, that's where we err. I am an American. But first and foremost, I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. This thought, and this is where the, the Jews there, they thought, well, I'm, I'm, I'm part of Abraham's descendants, so therefore I am good with God. It's the same way of thinking that, well, I'm an American, therefore I'm, I'm a believer. I'm, I'm a Jesus person because I'm an American. I'm a Christian. Stop it. Stop it. That doesn't make you a Christian just because you're an American. I I have people I've talked to that literally say that. Of course I'm a Christian. I'm an American. Man, John the Baptist rebuked their socks off for that. He did. It's time for us to realize that just because you're an American doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is when you bow your knee to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what makes you a Christian. I'll kind of wrap this up. You know, we must live in the awareness, I wrote, that the things of this earth are temporary. As citizens of another kingdom, we have to have this perspective that the things of this earth are temporary. The things of this earth, including the nations and governments and material goods, it's all going to fade away. Hebrews 11, 15, 16 says, if, the, if they had longed for the country they came from, 
they could have gone back. But they're looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. As citizens of the kingdom of God, our job is to make this place as wonderful as we can, to be engaged with the community in any way, shape, or form that we can, and to bring the kingdom of God here on earth. Wherever we put our foot, we should be expanding the kingdom. And some of you are doing so well at that. I wrote here too, when certain national policies align with biblical principles, which occasionally there's this rare moment, it's easy to subconsciously kind of substitute that nationalism that's going on for Christianity. Ooh, isn't this great? And expend our zeal and our passion on the wrong things. So where are you expending your zeal and your compassion? Is it on godly things? Is it on, is it on kingdom things? Or are we getting caught up in all this stuff that's going on? I love watching someone going into the arenas knowing whose they are, knowing who they are, whose they are, and swinging for the fences. I love that because they know why they're there. I wrote here, despite how noble our nation may be, Listen, our nation, I love this country, but it did not die on the cross for you and I. Think about that for a moment. It cannot promise us eternal life. Can it? No, only Jesus can. So, so a president or a king or any kind of leader, they're only, they're only really fallible human beings and they cannot meet our needs like God can. God and God alone will meet our needs. Philippians 4.19 says, And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his riches, glorious riches, which we have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So hear me out. Let me finish with these thoughts. A certain level of patriotism, a certain level of nationalism, is, it's not wrong as long as we keep a healthy perspective on where we're at in this. In fact, it's one of the ways that we can be good to our community and give back, realizing that I've been called I've been set apart for such a time as this to get involved in the environment that God has placed me. I'm not here to be a wallflower. I'm just here to simply engage with the community and bring heaven to whatever arena I can and the truth of God's word. That's what I'm called to do. So I encourage you guys, be part of the community. Get involved in some way, shape, or form. But remember whose you are. Remember what kingdom you're from. Remember what your card, your citizenship card says. It says, wow, we're from the kingdom of God. I love that. I heard someone one time, they said, what? They, they kind of had an accent and someone said, well, what country are you from? He goes, actually, I'm from, the, I'm from the kingdom of God. And when he said that, it kind of did this moment. And then I realized that was so good, brother, so good. I wrote here in just my finishing notes, but as Christians, <clears throat> but Christians must keep in mind that earthly nationalism is fleeting and heavenly citizenship is forever. Forever and ever and ever. And as earthly, as heavenly citizens, excuse me, our greatest loyalties and our primary obligations are to that, to a kingdom that will never, ever, ever pass away. So I ask you, at the end of the day, who or what are you aligning your heart with in this moment? Are you aligning yourself up with some kind of movement? Or do you really know the word of God where you understand that I serve a king and a kingdom that's going to endure forever? But I know that I'm called here to make a difference. I know that within me are seeds that I can plant. And at some point in time, they're going to grow. Amen? Let's stand. When you gave your life and you gave your heart to Jesus, God called you. The Word of God is very clear on this. You stepped from one kingdom to another. You came out of the kingdom of darkness and you stepped into the kingdom of light, which took your citizenship from the kingdom of darkness and shredded it to pieces 
and you stepped into the kingdom of light and you've been given a new card. You are kingdom people. You are citizens of another kingdom. We need to learn to walk and what that means to function as people of the kingdom of God. So Father, I just thank you for this moment. Father, a lot got said here this morning, a lot to rototill in our hearts and turn over and think about. But Father, in this moment, I ask that you would go down the corridor of everyone's heart in this room. And Father, if there's areas in our heart that we have not aligned with you, that's still aligned with the world, would you show us? And if we need to repent of those things, God, I pray that we would do that as we return to the truth of your word. Thank you, God. I pray, God, for a revelation of whose and who we really are in you. Megan talked about identity this morning. It's so true. Who are we? Well, we're your sons and daughters. We're part of a royal priesthood. We're part of a holy nation. We're a people that have been called like Abram to walk into this land and to bring blessings, to bring truth, to bring a wholeness of restoration to the environment that we stand in, God. Thank you, Lord. And I just want to say, if you don't know Jesus and you would like to know this King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, I would love for you just take a moment, if you would just gently raise your hand, if that's you, if you want a deeper revelation, you want to really know that you know that you know who he is, just raise your hand for a moment. I just want to give you that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So Father, we just pray for a deeper revelation. We pray for a deeper understanding of who you are. Well, Father, I pray that when we open up the word, God, we're not looking at it for just information on how to be good, how to be kind, how to do this, how to do that. We're looking at and looking for a revelation that will change us more into your image. Thank you, Father. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen, amen, amen. amen. If you wouldn't mind help picking up a few chairs, that would be awesome.